HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we have stories about food in large quantities. From bulk buying groups and reasons for stocking up, to creative solutions for handling excess waste. We have someone picking up our corks from the wine bottles and they repurpose them to make buoys for boats and, and, and like shoes and all these different things. Yeah, because of the COVID, uh, everybody like uh, isolated at home. But uh, to see the people face to face is still exciting. So we kind of treat it like a chance to say hello to the people and to the friend. Listen to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one of your hosts, Darren Bresnitz. Hope everyone had a good week. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're staying sane. Checking in with yourself, your friends, your family, your loved one. November 3rd is right around the corner. And please, please, please make sure you have a plan to vote. If you've already voted, awesome. If you haven't yet, make sure you have that lined up. Check in with your friends and family to make sure that they have their plan. This is the most important election of our lifetime, and we cannot miss this opportunity to reset the course. We are so excited to be joined by Julie Bainbridge. She is swinging in to talk about her new book, Good Drinks. It is a fantastic dive into the world of alcohol-free cocktails. We talk about the trends. We talk about the recipes, the ingredients, the bartenders she met on this journey. And we also talk about people re-examining their relationship with alcohol, especially during quarantine, about how little or how much they want to drink. It's a really insightful and inspiring conversation, and we hope that you enjoy it. And go get her book. It's out now. Then we dig deep into the archives. We're talking episode, I think, 77, with a live performance from Ducky. She brings her amazing energy and songs to the shipping containers. It's a really fun look back on one of our favorite performances. Also, our book is finally out in North America and Australia, October 14th, and we are so excited to be launching our pub day with an event with Now Serving, LA's premier independent bookstore when it comes to food and just good vibes and really is the heart of the culinary scene out here. Uh, We sit down with Jeff Gordonier of Esquire, who wrote one of our forwards, and we are also joined by Andy and Brianna Valdez of Homestate who are in the book, and also make incredible, incredible, incredible breakfast tacos and queso. So please check it out, and if you want to support, please go to fadin.com. Snacky Tunes is there. 
Thank you for everyone who's shown their support already, and we hope that you enjoy the book. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacking Tunes here on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, Snacky Tunes. Julia, happy pub day. I know that this is airing a few days after, but congratulations. Thank you for taking some time on the day of the book that comes out to sit down and chat with us. Thank you for having me. I am still in sweats and it's five o'clock. That's great. <laughs> I rolled out of bed this morning and started <laughs> answering various you know, DMs, tweets, uh, requests from my PR person, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I promised that before... Um, Club Bainbridge, the little launch party starts tonight. I will, um, uh, you know, put on some mascara. <laughs> Do you, you know, being so fashionable, want to shout out your sweats? You know, is it a bespoke oh, well, sweat maker? Kind of you to say. Um, I, no, I have a mix of the, the sweats. Um, these pants are actually from a little uh, Nepalese store, uh, I believe, like in my neighborhood. They're these kind of like, you know, dropped crotch, uh, sure. like the, the harem pant kind of thing. 
Um, so, and then the, the sweatshirt, actually, I will give a shout out to my friend, Carrie Lynn, um, who owns Cap Beauty, C-A-P Beauty, which is like an all natural um, beauty and wellness store. Um, and this sweatshirt, though, is from the first iteration of her store, which was called Castor and Pollux. So she, it used to be a boutique hmm. before she shifted into the, into the beauty space. Um, and so this was her like logoed sweatshirt um, and proof that I'm an OG fan of hers. There you go. There you go. <laughs> You know, uh, I found that during quarantine that um, you got to get up and get dressed or if not, the day gets away from you um, as far as uh, outfits go. It's that very it's, true. I can't say that I've like achieved <laughs> that, but that's my goal. I will say the sweats I'm wearing right now are not even, I do have a set of cute sweats that mm. are you know, um, sets that properly go together um, and and fit um, in, in such a way that I'm happy to present myself uh, to New York City on the sidewalk in them. But the sweats I'm currently wearing are not those. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So congratulations on the book. And, you know, I haven't gone through the book process myself now. I know that this is a a multi-year, both getting the idea and researching and writing and things like that. And um, the fact that the subject of non-alcoholic cocktails or drinks lining up with what's going on in quarantine with people's choose to indulge or not indulge is a pretty amazing coincidence because I've seen people who maybe at the start went all in on booze and have now really pulled it back to, I don't know if I'll call it outright sobriety, but much limited drinking. So, you know, while this was a trend leading up to it, it really has been an exponential uh, movement with a, a lot of people and them thinking about their relationship to drinking and things like that. Um, with all the press you've done with getting the book out and talking to people, what are the parallels that you have found between how people are treating their relationship to drinking during this time in the world and what you discovered while researching and writing this book, even though this was a journey you started years ago? Well, I mean, yeah, I could not have anticipated <laughs> pandemic when writing this book, which went to print before the pandemic hit. I'm interested in, um, in, in what you've seen, if I might throw it back briefly, I do have some thoughts. Um, but, but where do you get the sense that people are drinking less? Is this just through conversations with friends of yours or have you seen any data? I haven't seen any data. Um, but through talking with people in the industry and things like that, I think that without maybe the balance or the structure of a week or a work day um, and having, again, going in maybe a little bit harder back in the spring and March and April, um, people have pulled yeah. back, you know? I, I yeah. and, and I think you just see more of just like, a, I can't drink seven days a week because it's not helping. Right. And yeah, so there was data on like the rise in alcohol sales in, what was it, March, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. Um uh, it, it's it's so hard to have one answer to this question because so much is going on, right? It looks like a lot of different things. Um, I, I did, uh, it, it, the data did show that alcohol sales went up. Um, and then I did just 
hear of people pulling back too. Of course, you know, there's little to no data on trends toward moderation or abstinence this year. Um, Mm -hmm. So again, just like discussing this relies on anecdotal analyses. And I have learned, um, you know, when it comes to alcohol to just like be really careful. (laughs) So that's why I'm (laughs) prefacing my answer with so many, so much else. But, um, but I did, I did actually write a story about this um, recently for Wine Enthusiast um, Mm -hmm. that, reflecting people uh, pulling back a little bit. And for that story, I did talk to about 50 people between the ages of 20 and 60, and all of them had decided to reduce or stop alcohol consumption. Um, And I wrote the story because so many people had come to me you know, either people had come to me reporting that this had happened for them, or I, w- I was just hearing about it, kind of like you are. I just, so, so, something was going on with people pulling back a little bit, and I wanted to explore it. So, you know, some just wanted to be their fittest, physically and mentally, right? Some yep. wanted to cut down on costs, um, because a lot of people have been impacted financially, um, and alcohol isn't cheap. Um, some, well, depending on what we're talking about, I guess. Um, some had always wondered if they drank too much. And this, this is what I find interesting. Like, you know, quarantine became an opportune time to explore sobriety. So like, you know, no kind of awkward social encounters or business meetings because you're not having those encounters. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like a great, quiet, private time to, um, you know, reckon with your relationship with alcohol, if that's something that you'd always kind of had been in the back of your mind, right? Yes, I, I agree that it's one of the relationships that you can examine among many relationships during quarantine because it is such a less physically social time. And if you felt pressured into or by either people or self to drink, it's a good time to examine moving forward, which is, as you alluded to, something that people always feel that they have an opinion on, or I don't want to say attacked, but I've seen you write about, and it's been pretty clear about, especially in America's relationship with alcohol, you know, and there is the worst term in the world, one of the worst portmanteaus I think I've ever heard of mocktail, right? (laughs) It is just like, who, who wants to drink that? Right. And what I loved about the book and the title of the book, good drinks Um, and the different nomenclature that you have behind it of alcohol-free or things like that is that you're really giving it respect, right? Both the category and the people who choose to do that, whether it is for sobriety in nature or just that you just want a really good drink and you don't want to have alcohol because maybe it's a Tuesday and you have a couple of kids and you got to get for work the next morning, but you want to feel that you'd made something special. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, I have a lot to say on on this. <laughs> um, so thanks for for seeing you know that in the work, which these were definitely um, deliberate decisions. Um, you know, I want to go back for a sec, if you don't mind, to the to. Go back. Um, I don't want to kind of overemphasize this shift in drinking in terms of like people pulling back, because also um, you know, as I said, this looks a lot of different ways. And there's certainly a lot of people who, um, because of stress and the lack of being, having access to in-person meetings, which are so important, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who are in various programs and, you know, while it's great that say AA, for example, you Mm -hmm. know, can happen virtually, like, um, one, some people living below the poverty line don't have access to the internet and can't get to a, a virtual meeting. Um, and two, there are things that go on when you're in person in meetings that just can't be recreated um, digitally. Um, and and so you definitely have some people 
falling back into their addictions. Mm. Um, and we also have seen this before, I think after the, you know, financial, uh, crisis earlier in this century, uh, substance use disorders went up, you know, and, and deaths due to substance use disorder went up, um, coming out of that time. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I guess I just don't want to, I want to be careful to, to include that as, as down, as down down or as it is, you know, I mean, I think it's important to acknowledge that that's going on too. And look, you know, when it comes to the people prickling about, um, this this whole thing, I have compassion for that. Look, like the way America drinks is constantly changing and wildly so, right? Like every century, the pendulum swings and we have a radical change in our relationship to alcohol. And there's a lot of like, um, there are a lot of, messages, uh, going on, flying around about alcohol. Like, um, much of that history has sort of moralized and stigmatized the consumption of alcohol in this country. If we think about, um, you know, the temperance era and, um, oh my God, why am I losing the word in my head of when it was illegal to drink in the States? Prohibition. Yes. Prohibition. Yes. <laughs> you know, so that's still, our country's young. That's, that still weighs on a lot of people. Um, it, it worked its way into our culture, right? So it's like the consumption of it is moralized and stigmatized, but it's also glamorized. Um, so I guess I have compassion for people who instinctively react by poking fun or questioning my choice. It's a very human response, right? It's what we do when we feel that embedded in someone else's behavior is a judgment of our own. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you see it with but, vegetarianism and veganism as well. Totally, totally. Um, so I guess I'll go back to the name thing because that that sort of dovetails with this. Like, yes. Like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of anxiety about this whole endeavor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like what to call these drinks. So I will. Yes, my approach has been to perhaps defiantly call them drinks, which like totally would not be fair in a bar, of course, because patrons deserve clarity. <laughs> but. Like, yeah, think about when people make plans with each other to get a drink. It's usually assumed that that means an alcoholic one, right? And you're meeting in a mm-hmm. bar. And I guess my intent is to kind of subvert that a bit. Um, but the mocktail thing you mentioned, yeah, like in bars and restaurants, this this is a super inter- interesting conversation to me. I think like Julia Mimose of uh, Kumiko in Chicago, she kind of first poked some holes at mocktail. Um yeah. Uh, her spirit-free manifesto and I think it was 2017. So she was like encouraging us to think about a term more befitting the care and skill that goes into making these beverages. Um, and since then, like so many stabs have been taken at this. There's alcohol-free cocktails, as you mentioned. There's virgin cocktails, teetotalers, soft drinks, temperance drinks, zero-proof cocktails, neutral cocktails, like menu nomenclature um, as our, my friend, I think our friend Jordana Rothman put it to me is its own. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to Jordana. Um, she called, she said, menu nomenclature is its own thicket of awkwardness. <laughs> mm. Which I mean, that's really Jordana, good. That's a very Jordana way to put it. Um, yeah. And just perfect. The good thing is people are trying to come up with something to replace mocktail, which like it, it's effective, right? In that it's it's simple. Everybody knows what it means, but it, it does feel juvenile. It's It like implies that the drink is a lesser version of the quote unquote real thing, which is a cocktail with alcohol in it. But you know, so so again, I appreciate all of the tries, but we do at this point need to settle on something to kind of collectively align on a terminology that we really embrace. Um, and you know, the thing yeah. about mocktails or spirit free or things like that is that it still puts alcohol at the center of it, and it doesn't mm-hmm. allow it to be its own its own category. 
I don't know what the right nomenclature is, but I know that within these books, uh, sorry, in these pages of this book, you know, there are some serious recipes, um, much more than a whiskey and soda, you know, which is considered in many ways a cocktail as a highball, right? Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. three ingredients, ice, seltzer, and whiskey. And some of these are, the recipes in your book are, you know, advanced to say the very least, which is great because you had a lot of bartenders, um, not just create the recipes, but essentially by being in the book, signing off on this direction of drinks and having that co-sign, especially all across America. Like obviously, you know, you go to the coastal cities in your New York or LA and things like that. Of course, you're going to be able to find a bar that caters to anything you could find, you know, uh, vegan, Aussie, you know, uh, agave cocktail bar, I'm sure on the Lower East Side or maybe in the hills of Santa Monica. Um, but for you to have all these different drinks and all these different regions and inspirations from all these different people from all different walks of life, it really does ground this book in reality and saying like, this is not a trend. Like this is what people are putting up in the bar. And you obviously could have made these cocktails in your own kitchen or things like that. But why did you want to get this co-sign? Why did you want to go across the country and say like, these are the people who are in the industry that are saying like, this is at least one direction that the bar industry is moving. Yeah. I'll answer that, but I want to address what you said about um, like alcohol at the center. Yeah. The the last thing I'll say about like the terminology thing is I want to also shout out to Lorelai Bendrovsky. I'm sorry, Lorelai. I butcher your last name every time I say it. (laughs) (laughs) The owner of Listen Bar. And she said some really smart things about this on a Tales of the Cocktail panel recently. She said, um, with the, so this is all food for thought for the people who will endeavor to, to you know, find the proper term. I'm sorry that I did not do it for you um, with this book. But basically, you know, here's, I'll, I'll offer up um, some thoughts from her. You know, she, she said, with the word non-alcoholic, you're telling someone no out of the gates, like, and you're positioning yes. alcohol as the thing to say yes to. Um, and... And that wasn't driving with what she saw happening, which was that people are moving away from the narrative of restriction, like I can't drink because I'm pregnant or driving or my religion, to a narrative of preference, a choice not to drink tonight. So she went for alcohol-free cocktails. It's, it's you know, more positive in that it doesn't have that restrictive connotation. And we're already familiar with that structure, right? Like gluten-free, yeah. sugar-free, et cetera. Um, and she did, you know, your whole, the, the vegan thing, um, I've seen the word sober used in some terms, like sober drinks or whatever, but that counts out a number of people, right, who don't consider themselves sober, but like just aren't drinking. Um, and she she likened it to kind of plant-based versus vegan. I think a, a journalist who interviewed her at one point told her like when restaurants made that shift from um, vegan to plant-based, the sales of those dishes skyrocketed. Mm. Because it was, it was kind of, it was more casual. It was more permissive, and yes. you don't have to ascribe to being to you don't have to ascribe to a vegan lifestyle to strive for a more plant based diet, right? So, same thing happening with you know alcohol and sober people might not be sober, but might be interested in a more alcohol free diet or just an alcohol free round, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, my hope is that I, I, while I haven't um, settled on the the proper term, I have made this book very inclusive, and I think. That's, you know, I want to just shine the light on the people in the industry who are really thinking about inclusivity, um, you know, to get to your other question. Like uh, yeah. these, 
there are tastemakers, right? Like they do this professionally. They're immersed in the study of liquid and how it operates um, and in the balancing of flavors. And I, you know, as a lifestyle or a culture writer and editor, you know, can be an arbiter of taste, but they're the ones who are in the arena, so to speak. <laughs> they're they're the creators, you know, and they're often at the forefront of, of food culture. This is where trends start. And I think they also um, have the power to help shift this paradigm. Like, if I if I think about menus specifically, I spoke to someone who runs a visual communications agency for, for a story about this very thing, menu design, and she spoke to the influence that bars can have. Uh, she said a menu can be incredibly psychological. Like, how, how important do you feel considering what you're associating with on the menu. If you're associating with a thing that's discarded and not celebrated, then that's how you feel. So there's a lot of power that people in, in the bar world have by serving thoughtful non-alcoholic drinks, by giving them names, by putting them on the menu. Um, this can not only make non-drinkers feel more seen and more welcome, but it can really shift the culture. And so, um, yeah, they're the ones doing that work. And I wanted to highlight them in this book. I'm also not a bartender. So <laughs> it, I offer <laughs> this, you know, like I'm um, Julia Momo say, I'm waiting for her alcohol free book, uh, because, you know, she'll just do it excellently. Uh, and there are some other, you know, projects, um, coming out soon from other authors, but, um, you know, I, I, if I developed all the recipes in this book, I, I don't think I could um, consciously call them good drinks. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> so, I hear you. Um, they're good because the people who created these recipes um, are excellent at what they do. Um, and and yeah, this is going on across the country. Expertise isn't limited to New York and L.A., right? Like, mm. So I had the opportunity to uh, consider the good work being done all over the place. Why not take it? I love it. Well, look, we're going to take a quick musical break and then we're going to come back and get into the drinks themselves. Uh, we have a song from the archives here on heritageradionetwork.org. Come on, cherry, cherry, still, that's not the beginning. <laughs>
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Julia Bainbridge on pub day of her wonderful, gorgeous, delicious book, Good Drinks. And one of the quotes that I loved from the book was, these drinks are for pleasure, which I really thought was really fun and something that you could have just left implied, but I love that you overtly said it. Why was it important for you to specifically call this out? Because these are, this is a, these, each of these drinks is a culinary experience. You know, the, that, that's what makes them um, not just a syrup and soda. That's what makes them something to linger over um, and socialize around. Um, and I, I think a lot of people come to not drinking for health reasons, which is all well and good, but I think a lot of people expect um, sugar-free recipes from me when it comes to this mm. book. This is not a health book. This mm. is a celebration of some delicious stuff to drink that doesn't have alcohol, and um, that is its only mission. <laughs> so um, I, I did think it was important to state that for people for, you know, to not confuse those people who might be looking for things that are healthy. Like, this is not a health book. No, I mean, when you see sweet and condensed milk as an ingredient in one of the drinks, you go, mm, maybe this isn't the, the lightest drink I'm going to have are today. Some drinks that happen to uh, not have sugar. Um, yes. Because they're just, were made that way and I deem them delicious. And, and, you know, I'm the arbiter of that for this project. So it was included, but it wasn't an intentional thing to make sure that I had um, a handful of sugar-free, a handful of this, a handful of that. Um, you alluded to menus and bartenders and their influence in the first segment of the show. And what I've seen in the past is that there's sometimes there's an ingredient that will pop up in the bar, in a cocktail, like maybe shiso or something like that, mm -hmm. that then eventually makes its way into the kitchen. And in the book itself, uh, you said, you know, good non-alcoholic drinks are made in the kitchen. And then Sean Umstead of Kingfisher in Durham reinforced that by saying there is no difference these days between cocktails and food in, you know, uh, a bar restaurant setting. What did yeah. you find in getting into kitchens to make drinks? Well, it's a little bit different now. I mean, talk about, you mentioned the 
book projects are long and so much has happened yeah. in since this manuscript was filed. So um, at the time of, of filing this, you know, there weren't a lot of open and poor products on the market. Um, there are more and more and they're getting better and better. And I'm so excited for that. Um, but can you explain yeah. open and pour for oh, those sorry. who don't know? Like a product that you can just open and pour it into your glass and you have something layered and complex that you didn't have to put in your own effort for, right? Like, like so Cherry's Elixir or something like that. Yes, but in the same way that, like, you know, if you think about a, a, a whiskey um, and a bartender is using that as one component in a cocktail, like, that whiskey comes from an expert who has labored over making that product. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, and, and it comes with all of the, um, again, the, the, the interest and complexity and story that it comes with um, uh, because of that. Um, so, so I appreciate that that's happening a little bit in this non-alcoholic space too, right? And so that we can lean on some of the products that are being um, labored over. But um, for those who don't have access to those products or who like um, to build things from scratch, yeah, if you want a non-alcoholic drink that is going to get at bitterness, that is going to be kind of bracing in the way you might like from spirit, um, or that is just like not going to be a soda, you're going to have to roll up your sleeves and maybe you're going to have hmm. to steep some tea and some, you know, citrus rinds, or maybe you're going to have to, um, buy a root you've never worked with. Um, or, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's, again, it's a culinary experience. You've got to, you've got to get curious about ingredients and understand how they work and play with them. And, um, and because, because there aren't a ton of non-alcoholic products, you're not really stocking your bar. You're building these drinks in the kitchen by cooking. Yeah. I, um, I really love that approach. I really love that getting into ingredients is a great way to get into a drink. And I wondered if there was any ingredients that you discovered during your trip that you never considered putting into um, a drink that you've fallen in love with has now become a staple of your bar at home? There were a lot of things that uh, I had never considered putting into a drink before. Not all of them have become staples, but I will say, speaking with Sean Umstead, he has this apple miso drink in the book. Mm. I never would have thought of miso in a drink. I'm sure it's been used in the alcoholic context too. I just had never seen it. Um, but yeah, wow, way to bring like that savory quality and even kind of like a creaminess that the miso brings. Um, really interesting drink, but not something that I'm whipping up every day. <laughs> so I think the answer to that question in terms of like something I'm that's in heavy rotation, I really fell in love with Berju. I knew of it before, mm. um, but I... It, it is, you know, I've just got bottles and bottles in my fridge. Um, for those who don't know, Verju, V-E-R-J-U-S, is the juice of grapes that aren't yet ripe enough for wine production. So I think it's like between three and five weeks before grapes are ready for harvesting, winemakers thin the vines so that the remaining grapes have a better chance at like concentrating their sugars. And then that trim in some cases becomes um, Verju. Um, red Verju is like stone fruit like white verjou is crisp and tart and overall i just think it's it's got a more mature vibe than plain old grape juice there's this soft acidity to it um and i just really love i mean the cover recipe is 
I'm not going to say favorite, although it is one of my favorites in the book. Um, I would hope that what it was ever on the cover would be close (laughs) to a favorite. Yes, it's simultaneously a favorite and the simplest um, because it's just equal parts white verjuice, soda water, and tonic water. Put it in a you know wine glass with some ice and a lemon twist, and call it a day. And it's just such an elegant, sophisticated drink. so yeah, uh, I think my favorite Verjou, if, if people, I don't know if you do product recommendations on this show, but sure, uh, shout it out. <laughs> there's a pinkish one um, produced by Noble Handcrafted, which um, I think you can purchase it at, at mukuniwildharvest.com. Others that are worth tasting, both um, Montenor and Wolfer Estates, white Verjou. Um, and there's a Canadian brand, Minus 8, their red Verjou. Mm. And, and just like, you know, they, all of them belong in a stemmed glass. That's how I'll put it. <laughs> you know, these are proper, yeah. this, this is a proper adult, um, soft, acidic, not m- kind of more wine-like than grape juice-like um, flavor. And I love it. You talk a lot about the structure and backbone of a drink. And a lot of times that is what a spirit or alcohol will bring to it. But then I did see some other replacements for that spine mm-hmm. pop up in different ingredients. And one of them, which I really love, was the concept of using brine, um, pickle <laughs> brine, sauerkraut brine, which uh, I will trust you on, but I have never had that yet. Um, but I love the idea of using something that already exists or something like that in the same way that, w- you know, um, olive juice gives a bit of a body to a martini. Right. right. What do you love about using brine and what did you discover anything new about, you know, this type of, of ingredient for, for these drinks? I mean, I just think it popping up again and again might be a consequence of the author's taste more than it is, mm. <laughs> you know, it, it being a wonder ingredient. Um, I tend towards the savory and um, uh, something my grandfather, um, my, my mother's father and I would bond over is, is drinking the pickle juice straight out of a jar with each other. Sure. Um, everybody else in the family found it gross, but we would sort of hide away and giggle and, and, you know, throw back pickle juice. Um, but you know, it's a great ingredient to balance sweetness and it's something you likely already have in your fridge, right? It's already made. So you can just pour a little out of your pickle jar for use in the drink. Um, it's, it's not more complicated than that really. Mm, I love it. I, you know, speaking of author's taste, um, I believe it's what 50 recipes in the book. Um, so there might, it might be around a little over that. There were, there were a couple, um, that I, I slid in on pages that weren't proper recipe pages. Sure. um, Sub recipes and things like that. (laughs) Um, how many didn't make the cut and what were your guidelines for making the cut? Did, and was there any that you loved, but just didn't feel appropriate for this book? Yes. There's a whole spreadsheet of recipes that were tested that didn't make the cut for whatever reason. Maybe they were just a hair too complicated. I know you did say that some of the drinks in here are complicated. Yes, I know they are, but some You were called them out. Content. I'm not, I'm just, I am just regurgitating what I read is that you said you have a level of rating of complications. Yes. Yes. Um, some of them, you know, if, if there was a way I couldn't hack um, yeah. a, a certain, you know, professional piece of equipment and try to do that with home cook equipment, then that was out. Or if I, you know, certainly just conscious of the, the array of recipes. So making sure that I had enough of various, you know, flavors and ingredients and drink styles. And, um, so, so that went into it a lot. Um, 
or that was like part of the thinking of how I whittled things down. I definitely, I think I tested three times as many recipes as made it into the book. Wow. Um, I, yes, I had a wonderful Coral Lee who works at Food 52 as I think an associate editor now um, was my um, research associate um, and incredible recipe tester. So we, um, yeah, tested like 10 recipes a day for a few months. Wow. That's <laughs> and, a lot of drinking. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yes. Uh, and once we whittled it down, I then had them cross-tested by the great Mindy Fox, who um, is exactly what I was looking for in that she's a professional recipe tester, so she knows how to poke a lot of holes and knows what a home cook needs in order to um, successfully complete the dish or drink. Um, But she's not a bartender. So she also is a stand-in for, you know, I think it would be different if like a drinks expert who might assume that the home bartender right. already knows some things. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, um, she then, you know, came in fresh, not having been a part of the process at all and um, tested, you know, cross-tested the recipes um, based on what Carl and I had um, settled on. And um, in terms of the number, I mean, why 50 some odd? I mean, I had a page count cat for my publisher, right? So, and I forget exactly right. what that was, but like right. around 50 is what <laughs> The I was most going boring for. answer of yeah, it all. It's like, it's like, it's we, it's we have a page count. count. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, um, so that, that was the number we went at. And then um, again, as I said, all of this is moving so quickly. So there were um, some delicious things I discovered um, after the manuscript, you know, went to my editor. And so I did have a little window of opportunity to, Mm. Um, lots some new things in place um, for for um, others that were still perfectly delicious, but I thought the the new discoveries um, were all the more interesting for for whatever reason. I'm forgetting exactly which those were now, but um, oh, one that used um, like mushrooms. Um, oh and, yes, and, yeah. It was it was like mushrooms and and blackberries together, which sounds odd, but really worked in the end. Um, so that one, and I think, um, oh, I think one from the lovely Han Suk Cho, um, who is just, I'm waiting for, uh, Han Suk, I'll co-write your non-alc drinks book if you need help. Uh, on <laughs> the really record. Yeah. <laughs> she knows this. I text her, uh, here and there, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, I'm getting off topic. Did I answer that question? No, you did. And, you know, it was I, a lot of push and pull, right? Like yeah. to get to the final selection. Well, I like that you shared, um, a little bit of the creative process in the book. Cause you talk about the road trip and, uh, going from location to location. And obviously, you know, music is a huge part of what we do here. And that's how I actually sort of clear my head. I put on this couple songs I love and I listen to them over and over again while I'm thinking about something else. Um, and that comforting nature of like repetitive beats and music and things like that is what allows me to think about things. But for mm-hmm. you is the opposite. You talk about being in the car and having complete silence and thinking about the drinks that you had and the insights and the conversations. Why did that help you? And is that something that you've taken back with you in the writing process and even today? I mean, I think I maybe just can't hold as many things in my brain at once as you can, Darren. <laughs> oh, stop. If, if, if having inane thoughts and listening to like a 10-year-old punk song is holding thoughts in your brain, then I think you're giving me too much credit. 
I, so I think that, you know, it was sort of the road trip version of what I do in my life. Uh, yes, after, but also before, which is I do take um, like long, silent walks. And that's where I come up with, you know, leads or kickers for stories. That's where I work things mm. out. Um, uh, so definitely, what is it, what do they call it? Is that kinetic thinking? Just like th- as you move. Um, but yeah, I mean, music is such a big part of my life too. Um, as you well know, um, as, as an attendee of, 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 and tonight a participant of Club Bainbridge. Yes. Um, but <laughs> it's, um, but it's often hard for me to focus on anything else when I'm listening to it. Like I really become enveloped by a song. Um, and there was definitely music on this trip, but there were, were those, those periods of silence were the times when I, when I really, um, I just need silence to work things out and, um, to, to make myself not feel daft, I can back this up with science. <laughs> Um, which is, you know, for, I also, um, have a podcast called the lonely hour that has nothing to do with drinks. Um, but, uh, uh, Manoush Domorodi, who I, I interviewed her for the show, she wrote a book called bored and brilliant. And it was all about, um, that sort of that silent, um, unencumbered time is when we get creative. That's when we work mm. things out. Um, that's like when the good stuff happens, when you do the deeper thinking, um, and like really crack a problem. Um, so just, I need that space. I need that silence to, to think. Um, yeah. Amazing. Well, I mean, multitasking is a myth really. What? Well, multi, like I, you know, I think she, I think she spoke to neuroscientists and cognitive psychologists. Oh, who, it's a myth? Yeah. Like what we're really doing when we think we're simultaneously watching a show and sending a tweet and like listening to a friend talk about her day, or in this case, like, listening to, um, SZA and thinking about a recipe, like really we're not actually doing both of those things at once. We're, we're switching between those tasks. And then mm. every time we switch, we use up glucose in our brains and we have limited amount of glucose in our brains. And so the way we're switching around these days, we burn through that glucose fast. So kind of, if we don't want to drain ourselves, we've got to focus on one task at a time. And I need silence for that focus, man. Mm. Man. Well, maybe you can make a glucose heavy cocktail. Uh, that goes through my brain yeah uh well listen i want to say congratulations it was a great read it definitely gave me some inspiration and you know a way for me to have something a little special a little treat during the week and not pay for it maybe the next morning um but i wanted to end with you know what was the one unexpected thing that either you or you want people to take away from this book uh, during this time and now that it's out in the world? Uh, I guess I've tried, I've tried to make the reader takeaways pretty clear in the work. So I don't think that there's much that's unexpected about like the making of these drinks. There's certainly a lot, we could do a whole another show about drinking culture, (laughs) Mm. but I think, I don't know, to end this on a, I'm not sure what kind of note, but I think I'll offer something else here if you don't mind, which is, Mm -hmm. um, okay, good. I think, you know, like, a number of the bars and restaurants featured in the book have closed um, permanently due to the coronavirus pandemic and its economic impact. And, you know, this book and this whole movement would not have been possible without them. So I've been thinking a lot about like what bars and restaurants mean to me and mean to us. I don't know if you read Jeff Gordonier's piece um, in Esquire that I think went live today. Yeah. He put it like so heartbreakingly beautifully. um, He said, you know, what, 
what we remember about a meal at a restaurant is rarely the food. We remember the conversations with people, the flirtations, the arguments, the connections made, the friendships renewed, the ideas hatched, uh, the sorrows relieved maybe. I think, you know, bars and restaurants are our third spaces. Like this is where we commune. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mm-hmm. so essential to our health and happiness. And in the case of of certainly New Yorkers. And I think a lot of other people who live in big cities, bars and restaurants are like where we live out our lives really. So I guess I just want to say thank you to all of the people who contributed to this book. And I, mm. I you know, thank, thank them for the work that they do. And I want to thank the hospitality industry for taking care of us in general. And if I make me so bold as to end this by making a request, I want you, whoever's listening to thank them too. Um, and I want you to support your locals and, and, um, just kind of meditate on what bars and restaurants mean to you, um, tonight over a drink. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Let's plug away. Where can people get the book and follow your adventures? Oh my gosh. You can get the book so many places. If you go to my, um, certainly, uh, certainly Amazon, but there are a number of other booksellers. If you go to my Instagram handle, I've linked out to a link that then, gives you a bunch of, um, options. Um, and my Instagram is at Julia Bainbridge. That's J U L I A B as in boy, A I N as in Nancy bridge, B R I D G E. Um, and that's where I, I spend way too much time, especially right now. So I guess you can follow all my adventures if you just follow me on Instagram. Amazing. Um, yeah. Well, congratulations. Looking forward to seeing you at club Bainbridge later tonight. Woo-hoo! And we have another song from the archives and then a live performance from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Put me to the test, girl. I'm under arrest No, we won't sleep Till the streets are clean And the levee broke now We got fire before smoke somehow The results are in Negatives are positive Cause I'm a prisoner of love When it rains it pours Oh, when I toughen up now You'll take me back in your arms Behind bars, no more living large, girl. We're flirting with danger, dancing with strangers. Now it's just you and me, girl. Inmate number 715203. Yeah, you will be my captor. Sunshine, my big time, my laughter. Cause I'm a prisoner of love. 
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So uh, live in studio today, we have Ducky. Welcome. Thank you. Um, not your real name? No. Hard-hitting questions here. <laughs> uh, like that. But, um, Ducky, we played a show with you at Cake Shop uh, back uh, Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. And we had a great time. You had two fabulous dancers. I often do. As you often do. <laughs> and you were also, we're also uh, playing together at the August 6th Barbecue Blowout Festival. Yeah, I can't at City wait. Winery. It's going to be so much fun. Are you bringing the dancers? Of course I am. Awesome. Barbecue sauce everywhere. That's really gross. Everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, so, Ducky, uh, give our listeners a quick background. Wait, can, can I ask one question? No. Who's Ducky? I am Ducky. Yeah. I am Ducky. No, but who is Ducky? Hear the emphasis on that the is. That is so meta. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if I'm at your level. Okay. Well, just tell us then what Ducky is. Tell does. us how you became Ducky. How yeah. did I become Ducky? Well, I got the name in eighth grade. We had, I was there at that school for 10 years, and there were four of us, and they called us lifers. And we dressed up really crazy for our yearbook photos, and they wouldn't let us wear any of it, except for they let me hold a stuffed duck in my picture. And that's how you got your nickname? Yes. Huh. Pretty good. Okay. You know. So, yeah. so, so that 
That, okay, uh, so that's how you became Ducky. That's how you became Ducky. How did you become the musician Ducky? Well, it was also the same year that I started working in Logic. I used an eighth grade project as an excuse to beg and beg my dad for Logic and a cheap microphone, and I've just been playing with it ever since. How many years has that been? Six. That's awesome. And you're over at NYU right now, right? Yes, I am. How are you enjoying it? I love it. Where are you from? I'm from San Francisco. Oh, man. All the way across the country. Yeah, I'm bi-coastal. Bi-coastal? <laughs> Your parents still out there in San Francisco? Yeah. Are you happy about Dos Toros? Yes. I actually have only been there once. That's uh, still fine. They're cooking at the barbecue. I know. I can't wait. Uh, I mean, it, I, there, there was no San Francisco options, really, until they opened up. Yeah. It's not that hard. I never understood it. What, what was so hard about it? What's your favorite Mexican sa- food? No, I mean, what's your favorite <laughs> San Francisco burrito place? Um, I love Taqueria Cancun mm-hmm. and El Farolito. Well, oh, El Farolito is the 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 El Pastor quesadilla is the stuff dreams are made of. Yeah. Those are actually the only two right answers, by the way. Great. I, I <laughs> swear that if you go back and listen to previous episodes, I have like and talked about their El Pastor quesadillas on multiple occasions. Oh, is I'm that sure. what you're driving people to the podcast for? Yeah, I also listen to my <laughs> listen to my things. So, how long? Uh, what year are you? I'm going to be a senior next year. You're okay. So, have you been perform doing performances? Uh, at NYU or is it mostly like how have you established yourself as an artist Um, I'm actually really fortunate I'm in a recorded music program so I'm surrounded by other artists that play live we're all friends and so I get offered a lot of shows that way speaking of playing live let's get into a song yeah let's do a song let's do a song then we'll come back we'll talk more about NYU and um, and I'll chill in the cité Uh, so what's this first song you're playing this is called The Tropics and it's actually unreleased Oh, we got a Snacky Tunes exclusive. (laughs) All right, here we go. Ducky Live with Snacky Tunes.
Yeah. Yeah. Great. That was awesome. Thanks. Nice. You have an awesome voice. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like people never like think that we run stuff through here. It's just you can confirm it's just four mics in a room. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. But it's a cool room. It's a yeah. cool room. We got a boar's head. No, I'm not. Yeah, but I just meant like sound, sound wise. Oh, and the AC's on. Anyway, so, um, so as far as being uh, a student, I mean, have you? Do you keep this uh, like separate from like NYU stuff, or do you like play NYU shows, or how do you uh, like? Do you do bookings yourself? Um, that's a lot of questions. I know. Pick one. Okay. Let's invite. Can you major in being ducky? I pretty much am. Okay. Yeah, it's um, I'm in a program called the Clive Davis Department. It's mm-hmm. um, recording music, business, history, criticism, production, everything. And I'm taking my senior year. We do a thing called Capstone. You get all this studio time, and you just do what you want to do. That's awesome. So, how much are you gonna? What are you gonna try and record? So much, because the only thing that I really need to do in the studio is vocals and like any additional things that I want to record. But everything I do is programming. Right. What projects do you, what uh, programs do you use other than Logic? Um, I rewire with Ableton, mm-hmm. and I sometimes rewire with Reason, but not as much. So as far as gigs go, let's get back to that okay. hard hitting question. All right. Uh, do Wait you on me. do you play uh, a lot within like the NYU system, or do you go and do book do you play shows outside of it? No, it's pretty much outside. It's funny how often I get asked that because the NYU shows are usually like established bands. They don't really. Offer shows Look to at, like, a lot the of December NYU acts. Play. Yeah. Look at like John. They had like Bank. Big Boy and yeah. like Broken Social Scene was a special guest. It's like big names. That's where I mean when I was when I was in school we did a lot of I guess we had, we were small small budgets. Right. Uh, so we did a, we booked a lot of local talent or through the radio station or things like that. So you mostly play. So where do you play around the city? Um, I'd say the biggest I've played is the studio at Webster Hall. Um, the smallest is probably like dive bars, like cake shop. Yeah, cake shop. Cake shop was fun though. That was a good time. Yeah, we had a real good time. You missed that one, didn't you? I was working. It was a good show. Sorry, good show. Well, we'll have an, we'll have another one. Yeah. yeah, we will. Do you do bookings yourself, or do you have a booking agent, or are you actually, a I'm I'm pretty lucky. Almost every show I've ever played, someone has offered to me. Did you just say lucky ducky? I I did not say that. No, but maybe I should have. Yeah. So, um, how much how much stuff do you have recorded right now? Like, what do you have out? I have, you know, I have a lot of old stuff out. Most of the things that I've been playing live now, I'm sort of sitting on because I feel like I want to do something more with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I released Dust, the single, and honestly, I have like two EPs worth of stuff that I'm just waiting for the right moment to drop. Are you going to do the whole like couple EP routes instead of the whole album? Definitely. Who puts out? Are they? Are they? It's t- such an antiquated format. So is. I'm curious about. The program, so do they teach you, I mean, do they bring executives in to meet with? Do they sit you through meetings like that? Like, what are they, how up to date are they on, like, because I feel from even five, six years ago when I left college and got out to, like, the way that things are done now, it's a totally just different system. They're actually really good about it. They, um, at the end of your capstone, you present to a board of business executives, but also all of our teachers are people in the music industry. Like, who would we know? Who? I don't know if you would know them by name, but, like, for example, my production teacher, his name is Nick Sansano, and he did It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's awesome. awesome. <laughs> Do they have a giant clock hanging in his room? <laughs> and we have a small clock for a while that said in the nick of time at 12 o'clock. Got okay. it. Okay, that's pretty cute. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we get another song? Okay. Well, you don't like these jokes? No, these are good jokes, but I don't want to... hilarious. No, I don't want to tie anybody up. All right, so here we go. Ducky, live on second chance. What, what's the next song? Um, this one, 
It's called Hush There Are Thieves About, and I've been playing it forever, and it still is not out yet. I mean... But it will be. You've got time. Yeah. And you could also maybe go in and redo the vocals. I actually haven't recorded the vocals for it yet, which is why it's not out. Oh, well, there, well, there, <laughs> nah, well that answered that question. All right, well, here we go. Ducky Live on Snacky Tunes. Take it away. Nice, so pretty. Thank you. This is a beautiful summer day. That was just Ducky live on Snacky Tunes. How was your sandwich? Uh, Roberta's just knocking it out of the park. Yeah, I had the, good the lamb breast. What are you going to order when you? Uh, I haven't even looked at a menu. What do you eat when you're? Wh- what's your uh, tour food and recording food like? Um, I mean, I'm really like the antithesis of a picky eater. I love everything. When it comes to recording, the only two things I can't do are spicy and dairy. But I'll eat anything else. Oh, does dairy affect the vocal cords? Yeah, it makes you produce more phlegm. Gross. Yeah, appetizing. These are facts. (laughs) Uh, So when you can, so you know, has your dad uh, been like you were right? Thanks for you know convincing me to buy you Logic. 
Has yeah, he, well, he, he's always been really supportive. Have your parents seen you play? Yeah. Oh, my dad comes to every show that he can. That's really nice. It's awesome. He, he flies out from San Fran. Mm-hmm. Was at the cake shop? Is he coming in August? It's I'm not pretty big. sure. I'm trying to get him to come. He wasn't at the cake shop, but he was at the gig I played before that. What's uh, What's been the best gig you've played so far here? Oh, I mean, the Studio Webster Hall was amazing, just because I don't think I, I'd ever played before that many people. How many people were there? I have no idea. It was all, it's all a blur. I know we packed the place. By the end of the night, it was sold out. That's awesome. Yeah, it was were, great. Were you headlining? No. No, I... um. I played actually with two bands that are also in my program, Beast Make Bomb and Ryu. Yeah. I'm not really up on the NYU. Uh, <laughs> so talk to us about Quack House. Quack House. What, what is Quack House? What, what is Quack House? Um, right now, not a lot. Okay. I have I have plans for it. You know, if I had my way and I got everything I wanted, I would have my own record label of similar artists that I admired that I could work with, and they would be in a quack house family. Do they, do they teach you that? Like how to like start your own label or do they like, don't do it? Well, <laughs> yeah. there's not like a course on starting your own label, but if you're interested, you can find people who will help you. I think there's program. a course. I think you just put a thousand dollars in the middle of a room and light it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes. Jokes. Uh, I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, are there, I mean, is everyone in your program in some different type of uh, musical program or are there some people there who are just there for the business side of it? There's not that many people who are there for the business side exclusively. There are a few people. There's like a, a journalism track within it. There's huh. you know, there's usually like one kid per grade that's like, yeah, I'm just here to write. Just here to write about music. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean that's kinda awesome. I mean you can probably build your own microcosm of like the one kid that it like cuts his teeth on asking, like, so when you're in the studio do you write music in the stu- and just you know let him like you know let him like throw a lot of softballs out, uh, you know. So um, as someone who grew up in San Francisco uh, as a musician at a young age, what was it like to dream of coming to New York to pursue music and then actually get here? What was the uh, fantasy versus reality of that? Well, it wasn't really. It didn't really go down like that. Okay, how did it go down, I, um, Ducky? It was more that I kind of stumbled upon this program, and I was at a point where I was trying to decide whether or not I wanted to go to college at all. I was 17, done with high school, bored of San Francisco, trying to do music, but I hadn't really fully flushed it out yet, and I saw this program, and I was like, that's it, I'm going here, or I'm not going to school at all, and I'm going to go be a waitress. Was it just that easy? I mean, what was the application process? It was pretty hard. There's like a big portfolio. You have to do along with the common application and the NYU application. So it's like three big parts. Um, they just made it a lot harder. Thank God I didn't apply like <laughs> this year or last year. What school is it through? Tish? Yeah. Why, how did they make it harder? They, um, oh man, you have to do like a Skype interview. We had to do when we applied. So the, the we is, is Sam. Yeah. Oh, this <laughs> Sam's here. Hi. Are you in the program too, Sam? I am. Oh, okay. Um, What's your band's name? Uh, Cut Your Teeth. They and, rock. And uh, Young Set Club is another one I've been working with. Young Set Club? Young Set Club. Got it. Okay, so what's the application? Like okay, yeah. So when we... Um, Skype interview. Now it is. Ugh, why? I don't know. Thank God I didn't have to do that. Crazy. Um, We had to write like this long essay on the three albums that we would take with us to a deserted island. That is not a question. Yeah, it's because ridiculous. What, are you listen- yeah. what are you listening to it on? 
Your iPad's gonna run out of batteries. <laughs> what are you plugging a record player? It's Stereo Island. Somehow it's it doesn't not, yeah. It has it has enough power to yeah. play it, but not right. enough power to make a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> God, I'd, but, um, l- I'd love to get off, but I just keep listening to the Smiths. <laughs> 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 That's actually the album I picked. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, so the, the Skype interview now. Skype interview, and instead of the three albums, they have to make a, a playlist of like MP3s and write about each of the songs individually. This sounds. This, like, this is what happens when they try to. Uh, and you know, I have made a living off of like music and entertainment, but I I went to business school, like finance, all that type of stuff. Yeah. This is when they tried to like take something that doesn't fit in that mold and make it as like it's like just let the kid like just if they can write music and they're passionate about it like follow that now like what is your playlist like what like ooh you know mm, you pick something from the third Led Zeppelin album which I love the fourth one so I think I'm gonna have to deny like it it can't be that subjective I I think next year you have to make a mixtape for your boyfriend or girlfriend and justify (laughs) each track Uh, alright let's get one more song we'll come back we'll wrap up and do another song to let us out so right now Ducky Song three of four. I'm doing four now? Yeah. You that, told me three. Does that work for you? I can do it. I'll make it work. Okay, thanks, Ducky. Yeah, man. Uh, anyway, so August 6th is the uh, City Winery and ours barbecue. Uh, it's going to be Van Dag, Mylad, Mexicu, Sam Mason, Dos Toros. Sam Talbot. Sam Talbot. Chris, Christina Tossi from Momofuku Milk Bar. Craft. Craft. Uh, Ducky's playing. Midnight Magic's playing. Foster Damas. Foster Damas. New Villager. New Villager. Looks good, right? Citywinery.com. For and Duck is Dancers. Oh, yeah. How do you find your dancers? I um I knew one of them personally. She was a friend. I asked her if she wanted to do it and if she knew someone else. And she introduced me to the other one. It's going to be students? Yeah. It's going to be hot in the summer. In the summer, it's... It's going to be extra Have you, hot. You haven't seen it. Oh, man. No. Get ready. Um, they told me about it, though. Extra saucy. Oh, yeah. Super saucy. Super saucy. Really, saucy. really saucy. Really saucy. Like the sauciest barbecue that's ever happened in yeah. the barbecues. All right, actually, you know what? Looking at the clock, we don't have that much time. So why don't we just wrap, do all like the send out, shout outs, everything, and then we'll just get one more song in. Sorry, we can't do four. We'll just it's do okay. three. Uh, you're really, you're stomping on my dreams today. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you know what? If you want to see more of her music, you just got to wait till August 6th. Oh, wait, are you playing any now, anytime between now and then? I am playing... Um, uh, we had a radius clause. <laughs> yeah. Lies. Yeah, lies. Lies. I am playing... I'm actually playing July 30th for a benefit for um, the chef organization. Um, What's that? Anyway. <laughs> something to do with food? It is... Um, yes, it is something to do with food, bringing food to people who need food. And a good friend of mine is involved look, with that. Look, let's just be fair. We've DJed a number of benefits that I didn't know exactly what it was for. A good cause is a good cause. You know what? <laughs> that is a quote. That is a beautiful, beautiful quote. And so if, we, if someone wanted to find your uh, previously recorded music. They could go to duckymusic.com or duckybandcamp.com. Bandcamp? Did they teach you how to build websites at this? No. What like what 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 did they teach you? What okay, I'll put it this way. What? Let me ask you this. This is the one the one thing. If you hadn't gone to this college, what's the one thing that they taught you that you don't think you would have learned that's actually gonna be helpful? Oh my god, like everything I know in the studio. Okay. Yeah. So that's good. I'm just I mean, I'm just curious. Um are there any bands that are in the program with you that you think are gonna make it? And you can't name the you can't name the dude who's sitting next to you. I can't. <laughs> 
Uh, well, we already okay. shouted them out. I play metal, so there's no way. <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> Except for in Europe. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, there's so many. I don't even know where to start. Start with one. So, okay. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna get in trouble for whoever I don't pick. <laughs> Just pick one. Tell me we don't have enough time to name everybody. You're all talented, NYU. Rio. 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 R I O U X. Oh, that's and that's easily uh, easy Google name. Yeah. What do they sound like? Um, sort of like psychedelic. I know he's really influenced by like Krautrock and like Kraftwerk German scene. Um, Are there any pop people in there? Like like next there generation? There are a few, but actually most of them dropped out. I think. Like no Rebecca Blacks. Ooh. Yes. No. Oh my God. But I can't say it. There is uh, somebody. But there's yes. somebody. Uh, what, what, why can't you say it? This is too mean. Yeah. Okay. We're like we're like a we're like a really nice show. Yeah. And we, I'm a nice like, person. The way that we don't talk <laughs> shit is we just don't have people on here we don't like. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. We I don't mean, like bring anybody on to be like. By the way, your music sucks. <laughs> yeah. And the you know, the biggest well, sandbagging. The biggest sandbag you ever saw was earlier this show. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. What music? He do you? set me up. By the way, just so you know that on break, that um, Brooks was like, "Oh, I definitely want to talk about the music we listened yeah. to." The, I was like, "We're not going to ask that question." He's like, "Please ask that question." Just so we could just... Yeah, he's like, I have a great answer. I have a great answer. He just <laughs> spiked the ball right in my face. And we're on the same team. We're on the same team. <laughs> it's like, I guess it's like all those bad B movies where they're like, your partner pulls the gun on you. It's like, and I'll be taking the money now. Brooks broke my heart. <laughs> Brooks. That's where you went? Yeah, that's where I went. Oh, man. You it's summer. You did not get enough sleep after Tiki Disco yesterday. I, s- I drank a good amount of tequila. What happened to your shirt yesterday? Uh, it ripped off. Wow. Yeah. But yes... Thank you, Sam. Oh, yeah, See, yeah. I told you it wasn't my fault. The right. ship just went, I don't want to be on here anymore. And just ripped itself right off of me. You can't stop it. You can't stop it, especially in the summer. <laughs> anyway, Ducky. I, I, I think it's because you're not used to wearing sleeps. I know. Ducky, thank you for being on there. Sam, thank thanks for, for helping me. out. Oh, what's the Twitter? Quack House. Full circle. Full circle. And uh, what are we going to, uh, what's, what are you going to take us out with? I'm going to play Dust. Awesome. Full circle number two. Uh, I'm all about the full circle. Don't forget about the Del Posto barbecue this Wednesday at Good Company. Buy your tickets for the August 6th barbecue. <laughs> what else are you missing? Who's on next week? Oh, I'm not sure yet. Not sure yet? <laughs> I mean, I, I do know, but I just got to look through my emails. Uh, Dean from True Panther. Oh, Dean from True Panther. Oh, and by the way, um, I want to give a shout out to Steven. Who recognized my voice yesterday at the barbecue and when I mistook, mistook him for somebody else? Are you sure it's Steven? Or Steve. It's one of those two. Anyway. And shout out to Tiki Disco. Yeah. Really, really. Those guys fun. are going to be on here in August. Yeah. Uh, it's every other Sunday. Um, if you enjoy the more like dance music uh, elements that we have on here, you will love Tiki Disco. And it's over by 10. You can be in bed by 11. <laughs> just in time for class. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, thank you. Oh, you are uh, We are school. finger on the pulse. <laughs> we are finger on the pulse. Uh, this is Ducky playing Dust. Oh, and uh, Four Knots Festival this Saturday. Oh, yeah. We're playing Four Knots Festival. The new Siren Festival. At the uh, South Street Seaport um, with Village Voice. We're going to be on the DJ Pavilion with Dan Deacon, Yay Sayer, um, and Black Angels, Tyus Andronicus, are a bunch of other are playing on the main stage. We'll be there. We'll be on from 5 to 7 as Finger on the Pulse and 7 to 8 as Punches. Yeah, so come check it out. It's free. and uh, Bring your granola bars. Yeah, you might be hungry. <laughs> you might be hungry. Yeah, we're good. I think that's everything. I think that's everything. Okay, Ducky, take us out on Dust. All right.
watching hell and earth collide 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 we talk about food we talk about music with musical dudes finger on the pulse snacky This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.